0: Okay, so this morning let's turn our attention here to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, and we're going to delve into here and in what Jesus tells us about the end time. So the title for our message this morning is Looking for Your Coming King. Looking for Your Coming King. Ah, oh, me, okay. Now, as we've been going through the gospel of Luke here and we've come through the end of chapter 21 and into chapter 22 where we find Jesus at the moment is he and his disciples are leaving Jerusalem. They've been in Jerusalem you know, usually each day this week. And at this point we're, we're in the last week of Jesus and we're probably about Tuesday, I think here at this point and uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on which, um, you follow and it's not really that important which day it it is necessarily but they've been in and they've been ministering and and teaching and seeing things in Jerusalem each day and then heading back out uh, to Bethany probably where they've been been staying and here at the end of this day where they've been in the temple they are again headed back out to to Bethany Uh, on their way back as they're leaving Jerusalem and, and headed on their way back Uh, to to Bethany, because it was normal for people to stay outside of Jerusalem. They stop on the Mount of Olives. Now in Luke 21, we're not told where they're at, but Matthew tells us that, and he tells us that they stop on the Mount of Olives, which is why this this passage we're about to read, which comes here in Luke 21, and also in uh, Matthew 24 and uh, Mark 13, Uh, this is what we often call the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus is teaching... On the Mount of Olives. Now we're at we're at a very important stage in Jesus' ministry here. So for three years, Jesus has been very public in how he has ministered, both in the northern parts of Galilee and down in Jerusalem. And he's been ministering and, and teaching and healing and and proclaiming the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. But now, at this point, when we're here at twenty-one, at this Olivet discourse here we're at uh, a point that marks the end of Jesus' public ministry. So when he's left Jerusalem, that's the last time Jesus addresses the crowds in a way of teaching. Here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's encouraging and teaching them the truths of what's to come. He still has a lot of teaching to do, um, particularly on the last night, which you can read in John 14 through 16, but it's all aimed towards his disciples and so we're at a very uh different juncture here as his ministry changes moving in these last couple of days to the end now as as jesus and his disciples leave jerusalem and as they're headed back towards uh where they're they're staying outside of jerusalem they stop up here on the mount of olives and they look back Now, they've just been in the temple, but what begins here, where it tells us, it says in verse 5 of Luke 21, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was ordained with beautiful stones and donations. So that's how this conversation starts. They're sitting here on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking back, and they can see the temple. And they start talking about the beauty of the temple. Now, we're talking about Herod's temple. You might want to, when you have a chance, Google Herod's Temple and see some pictures of it or some renderings uh, of it. It was a magnificent and beautiful place. It was it was uh, huge. It stood towering above the rest of Jerusalem there on on the Mount uh, there in the, in the middle of Jerusalem. It was ornate and it was beautiful and it was was built out of, of, of you know, this beautiful white marble and, and adorned with gold around the tops and the edges and it just gleamed and it glistened. And like they did with Solomon's Temple when it was built, the people would come and they would donate precious gems and jewels and that would be adorned along the outside to make it just sparkle and, and look beautiful. And so you can imagine, I mean, you've probably seen your houses that are white or with white roofs. And when the sun shines on it, just how bright and gleaming it is. This is what this temple was like. As the sun shone on it, particularly now, as it's getting towards the end of the day and the sun's getting low. Can you imagine that setting sun just glancing off and just reflecting off of this towering white and gold structure with the glistening of the jewels coming off of it? It was an amazing thing historians tell us to look at so big it was as as travelers were coming to Jerusalem it looked like a great white mountain and as they sat there and as they looked back and they see the sun gleaming off this beautiful structure they begin to talk about how beautiful it is it was built by Herod now the Jews were not keen on Herod in fact they despised the man but yet the temple that he built was the glory of the Jews. It was the center, it was the beauty. It symbolized, the temple symbolized everything that they were. It symbolized who they were as a people. It was a reminder of where they'd come from and the, the temples they had in the past. And uh, it, was, it was a mark of what they longed for. The temple was a mark about the coming Messiah, and how the Messiah would rule and reign. And as Jesus and his disciples sit there, and as they look back from the Mount of Olives onto Jerusalem, and see this beautiful temple in their eyes, it's a symbol to them of Christ's kingdom. They're thinking of the kingdom that he is going to bring, a a kingdom which the disciples hoped Christ was going to bring within the next few days. That's what they were still longing for. So when they see this and they start talking about this, it continues for us in Luke chapter 21 and verse 6. And says, then he, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So when they're talking about the beauty of the temple, The amazing structure that is before them and all the hope that it brings of what is ahead and what has been behind. And then to hear Jesus say, this beautiful thing which you see in soon will be brought to absolute rubble. This rocks their world. This changes everything because the the temple was so much at the center of what they believed, what they hoped for, what they longed for, about what was ahead for them and the kingdom of God. When Jesus says that the temple is going to be brought down so low again, then what is going to happen? What has he been talking about, about his kingdom? How is he going to have his kingdom? What is going to happen? See, because as yet, the disciples still hadn't grasped the idea of Christ's death and his resurrection, So, if the temple is going to be destroyed, well, then what about the kingdom? What's happening to the kingdom? And this raises their questions. So, it says in verse 7 of Luke 21 So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? So they hear Jesus say, It's all going to come crumbling down. And it starts to bring all these questions. What's going to happen? How is this going to work? What does it mean for the kingdom? And they ask him these two very important questions, which Jesus is going to answer about the coming kingdom and his coming again. Before we go any further and continue in, let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing as we study his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you teach us and the instruction that you'll give us about your coming. Fill us with hope and excitement. Let it not just be an idea to us, but let it become a reality, a truth which we long for, which we grasp for. Help us to understand today, to see more of your truth, to see more of your purpose, to be encouraged to live for you right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when will these things happen and when will the kingdom come? Now, today, as we look at this, I wanted to give an overview. So we're going to take a, a quick glance over the whole of chapter 21 and just do a quick Overview today, so it's going to be kind of light in detail. So don't worry if you miss something, or if something you you hear or see it still doesn't make sense, or it doesn't get there. We will get to it. So we're going to look at it in more detail in the weeks to come. But today I want to give us a big overview here, so we can see what Jesus is getting at and see where it's it's going. Jesus is going to answer these questions. And it's important that as we look at what they ask here and how how Jesus answers it, that we recognize that there are two different questions here. That they're talking about some different things. They overlap some in what they are speaking about, but they are two different questions. One is about the temple. The other question is about the end of the age. What is going to come? So the Jews spoke of of time spoke of life in in two ages. There was this age and there was the age to come. Now for the Jews, when they spoke of this, this age, when they thought of this age that we live in, it was considered to be entirely corrupt and needed to be completely done away with. And then there was the age to come. Now, for the age to come, this is when God would bring in his complete and perfect kingdom. For the Jews, it revolved most prominently around the Jews, but it was the perfect time. It was when God would reign perfectly. The Messiah would come. Everything would be as it was. So this question, these questions that they ask really come to us about these two ages. What happens with this age in which we live and what is to be of the age to come now it's inevitable that during times like these where we have things like this virus running around the world that people begin to talk about the end times and begin to talk about the apocalypse and the end of the world and how we're going to survive. In fact, I've seen a lot of articles and things about it. And a lot of the ministries that deal with these sorts of things have addressed this in, in many different ways. Uh, you're about what, Is this the end? Is this ushering in or part of God's ushering in of his end times? And it's not the first time we've come across these things. It was talk like this at pretty much every war that comes along and every pestilence or whatever comes. We, we start talking about the apocalypse or the end that's going to come. These, uh, these questions arise because there is there's so much misunderstanding about Christ's coming what it means and when it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. So hopefully as we move through chapter 21 in these next few weeks, we'll shed some light on this and understand a bit more clearly about what happens or what will happen when Christ comes. This truth needs to be be firm in our minds and, and in our hearts, not just some idea of a spiritual realm or some, Uh, empty hope if you will but it needs to become a hope of a real tangible kingdom in which we will live physically and serve physically. So what do we need to know about this age and the coming of King Jesus? Let's take a a quick sweeping look this morning and then we'll get into the details in the weeks ahead. We've read the first few verses uh, kind of joined together a bit but Let's get to verse 8. So we'll start in verse 5 again. It says, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will be uh, there when these things happen are about to take place? And he said... Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict uh, contradict or resist. You You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patient possess your soul or by your patience possess your souls so what do we need to know about this age and the coming of Jesus firstly we're going to look at the idea of waiting for the king and then we're going to look at looking for the king but as we begin, as we look at what Jesus is about waiting for the king, what's happening in these ages and what to expect in the days before he comes and leading up to his coming, there are three things I want to look at here as we put all this a little bit together. And the first is he warns us or calls us, don't follow false teachers. Don't follow false teachers. Verse 8, he says, Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. Don't follow false teachers. Beware of antichrists, if you will. What is interesting here, as we have read through these, these verses, what's interesting is Jesus describes a number of things here, a number of events and things that will take place, that we take, of, take as signs, but they aren't really signs. What Jesus is describing here is not so much signs of his coming, but more characteristics of the age before his coming. So these are talk about the nature of the world, the characteristics of the time before Jesus comes, what to expect during the time that we wait for his return. These things, everything that Jesus talks about here, begin almost immediately after Christ's ascension. So uh, the ascension, which by days and, and schedule we would have celebrated here on, on Thursday, last Thursday, from, from the moment Jesus ascends back into heaven, we start to see all of these things really start to take action and, and motion, increasingly so, in our world. You know, for centuries we've been reading these as signs of his return. In fact, Paul even had to to comfort the Thessalonians at one point because they thought they'd missed the return of Jesus. And so we've been looking at these things and seeing these things as signs as Jesus was to come back or if we'd missed his return. And they're not signs in the sense that we often think of signs. But the first characteristic that Jesus gives us about the character of the age before he comes is that it will be characterized by the rise of false teachers. The rise of false teachers, people coming in Jesus' name, claiming to speak for him and even claiming to be him. Yeah, uh, a simple exercise, uh, which I did a moment ago, or earlier this week, which can bring up some interesting things, is if you, you put into to Google or your search engine there, people who claim to be Jesus. And you will find that there is a long list of people over the last centuries who have claimed either themselves or their followers have claimed them to be the Messiah. That is all. There is a long list. And it's some of it's interesting. Some of it is just insane, mind-blowingly insane. and, And so much of it is is heartbreakingly tragic as a result of of what happens but since the time of Jesus, since he left, there has been a long list of people who have claimed to be the Messiah. For many Christians, talk of the end times, when we start talking about the end and the coming of Christ, talk of the end times brings up talk about the Antichrist. So this one central sort of figure that comes in Christ's judgment here. And he is an important figure of the end times. Hey, there is no doubt about that, he plays a very important role in Christ's purpose. But he is not who Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about the Antichrist. Jesus is warning us about many Antichrists. John, the Apostle John, echoes the same thought in his letter. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, John warns us like this, and he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour John uses the phrase the last hour in the same way we see uh, other phrases used like the last days or the the end so he's speaking of these last moments the the times before Christ comes, He says in this last hour, what do we know or how do we know it's the last days, it's the last hour? Well, one, we know that the Antichrist is coming, that is, he's not here yet. But what we do know is that there are many Antichrists already here. Already. Many will be around appearing to point to Christ. So it will look like they're a point to Christ. Like like Paul describes, they appear as angels of light, but really are demons of hell. They may appear to point to Christ, but they're actually doing the opposite. And not just a few, both Jesus and John, amongst others in the New Testament, warn us that it's not just a few, but that there will be many. It will be prevalent in the last days. So we are warned, don't... Be deceived. Don't be deceived. We're told to be aware, to be discerning. Do not follow them. Point them out, we're told, and oppose them as they are exposed. It means just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. They need to show the fruits of genuine Repentance and Christianity. You see, there are many religions out there right now, right at this very moment, claiming to be Christian, but they are leading away from Christ. You know, in just the last few months, the the Pope has has offered forgiveness for people and in our times of, of need and struggle here, he has not pointed people to Jesus, but in fact has written two new prayers to call the people, supposedly the people of God, to pray to Mary and to the saints. There are other religions out there which claim to believe Jesus Christ, but which say that Jesus Christ is entirely different, that he is just a man or that he was the, the, the brother of Satan and, and so many other things which supposedly point to Jesus Christ, but don't. Or the, the prosperity gospels which claim Jesus Christ, but which are actually pointing us in an entirely different direction. John gives us sobering warning about these antichrists. So we read verse 18 a moment ago in 1 John 2. He continues in verse 19, says, They went out from us because they were not of us. Now, that's just a frightening statement. This is what he's saying. Where do these antichrists come from? Where do these people come from that are leading us astray? He says, at one point, They looked like they were of us. They were part of us. They they were in us. They were with us. They seemed to believe like this. And then they went out. They looked like us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us this age this age that that comes before christ comes christ tells us that in the days before he comes it will be characterized by deception so the first thing we're told here about waiting for the king is don't follow false teachers secondly jesus reminds us here don't be frightened don't be frightened verse 9 says but when you hear of wars and commotions do not be terrified For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. One of the things that he tells us here is that in the days leading up to the return of Christ, the world will get crazy. The world will be a crazy place. And here, when we talk about the end times and we talk about the last days, here is what most people think of. Most people start to think of the catastrophes and the wars and the the, the natural disasters and and all. And we start to to count. We start to plot how many floods have we had this year as opposed to five years ago. Or or why are we seeing so many earthquakes at the moment? Or, Or there's wars going on here and wars going on there. And many assume that the rise in war and natural disasters is a sign that Christ is on his way. But notice what Jesus says in verse 9. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. The end is not yet. Wars, famine, pestilence, Earthquakes, these are not definitive signs that Christ is on his way back immediately. They are signs of the age. They are characteristics of this age between his first coming and his second coming. We watch all the wars in in modern era and we wonder, could this be the moment? Could this be the time? so did the first century Christians. The first century Christians thought the same thing. How did the believers feel who just not long after this would be surrounded in Jerusalem by Roman armies and and just about to see uh, Jerusalem destroyed and conquered? Many of them were able to flee by God's grace. Or what about the years of the persecutions under the Caesars? or the years following it, so much persecution and trouble has gone on, or the the many plagues we have had through the centuries. You see, we live in a sin-cursed world, a world where nature groans and where people are ruled by their wickedness. What Jesus is reminding us here is, yes, This world is going to be crazy. Things are going to happen. Wars are going to happen. People are going to live more openly by their sinful nature. And the earth is going to groan as it starts to come to its final end. And all of these things are going to happen. But don't be frightened. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan. Jesus tells us these things are not to be feared. A virus that rushes around the world shouldn't strike fear into the hearts of believers. When we look out and we see nations, even rogue nations as it were, amassing weapons of mass destruction, that shouldn't terrify us as the people of God. The threat of natural disasters shouldn't terrify us. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't take these things seriously, but it means they shouldn't strike fear into our hearts, and bring us to a place of being terrified. Why? Because God has a plan. These things haven't caught God off guard. He isn't surprised when nations war. He isn't surprised when the earth groans and, and fire rains from volcanoes. These things don't catch him off guard. God isn't worried about them. They're under his command. And he uses all of these things, every single one. He uses them to bring people to repentance and to reveal his glory and to ultimately bring defeat to sin and to Satan. God has a plan. So don't look on these events and on these things that happen in the world with fear, but with confidence that God is moving. As we're waiting for the coming of our king, we're told to to uh, don't follow false teachers, don't be frightened, and thirdly, don't fret. In verse 12, it continues, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls God's people will suffer but he says don't fret You know, out of all the warnings that Jesus gives here about what the end of the age will look like and what it will be like to wait for his coming this is the most concerning for God's people God has a plan and he is in control but even though God has a plan and God is in control what he does not promise is that it will be easy For his people. In fact, the unfolding of God's plan means that there is going to be difficulty before we find the great glory of his return. You see, the assault of evil against God will be felt most violently by God's people. You look through Christian history, read through Christian history. There's a lot of good books out there. Fox's Book of Martyrs is, is perhaps the great classic on that. And, and there are others around which take us back through history and, and see the history of the people of God. But Christian history can be a, a graphic, scary and really uncomfortable read. The violence that takes place, the violence that started from the very beginning, from the moment Christ ascended, right on, God's people have been under attack. And as Christ moves toward his ultimate defeat of evil, the evil one intensifies his war on God's people. Now don't be fooled into thinking we're not experiencing now uh, uh, experiencing it because it's not happening. You know, we live here in, in Perth and... In Perth, we are in one of the most most beautiful and most blessed places in the world. But while we sit here in Perth and we, at the moment, seemingly escape the great persecution that speaks of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are dying in their thousands. God's people will suffer. This is a characteristic of the end of the age. As we wait. And it began from the moment Christ left and will continue until the moment he returns. But what he does promise, though he says you need to be aware and, and that we are going to fret, what he does promise is that God will be with you. Don't fret. Jesus says, don't live these days in fear, but live these days in confidence. He will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will use you in your time of trouble, give you a testimony. Consider the very first martyr, Stephen. Just just months after Christ was, was ascended, Stephen dies and he stands there and proclaims this great message and as he's taken up into heaven at his death, the gospel is told and his testimony rings through the world even to this day. John and Paul both wrote scripture in prison and under persecution. Andrew, the Apostle Andrew, is said to have have been witnessing to people as they passed by him while he was being crucified. Throughout history, Christians are recorded while they're being burned in the fire or hung on on gallows of singing and, and proclaiming God's word to people as they pass by or as they are burned right to the very end. God promises to be powerfully present with his people to the very end. These are aspects of waiting for the king. We want to look quickly, lastly here, of looking For the king. Verse 25 says. And there will be signs in the sun. In the moon and in the stars. And on the earth. Distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear. And expectation of those things. Which are coming on the earth. The power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man. Coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen. Look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Look up. Look up, we're told. We see at the beginning here, we see the fear of God. In these first few verses, he describes uh, these events coming to their great culmination. You see, we're not just meant to wait out this age. To just survive until Christ comes. We're called to be living actively for Christ. To look for his coming and to live for his coming. We're called to live with confidence in these days. We're called to live with confidence in these days because people around us, their hearts are failing. They're lost in fear and trembling in confusion you know, consider consider what's happened in these past months as this coronavirus has spread around the world consider the fear and the the anxiety that you have seen in the people that you know and that you love and the people around or maybe even before this think think about the intense worry that people have had about climate change because our world is dying and the anxiety that that has brought into so many lives or even the the anxiety that's that's continuing to rise in people now as a developing as we're seeing rulers in in china and russia and north korea and even the u.s and and we're, we're looking at these and it's it's bringing anxiety to so many people by looking at what's going on without christ these are fearful days But these days will and should bring the fear of God. And we see the power of God. You see, what we see now is just the beginning. That God can control the world and that that all of these things that that as the world groans and as God moves his, his plan into action, all these things are mighty in their glory. But this is just the beginning. When Christ returns, when he comes to set up his kingdom, we will see his power and we will see his glory. Jesus is coming again. Now, while none of these signs mark the end, so none of them say, this is it. If you see this, then he's coming. That's, that's the mark of it. All of them. As we look at all of them, we see all of them happening through our age and through our time. All of them remind us that his coming is imminent. That is, there is nothing holding him back except his own perfect timing. There is no specific marker that says when you see this flash across the skies, That means Christ is coming back. Or when you see earthquakes happen at this uh, magnitude and at this frequency, Christ is on his way back now. All of them, though, tell us that he could be back at any moment, at any time. And finally, our redemption will come. Salvation is close. Don't you love verse 28? Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. The completion of our redemption is close. Each and every day we move closer and closer to the final completion of what God began in us. Finally, all things will be made new. Sin will be done away with completely. Christ will reign perfectly in glory forever. Everything we've lived for, everything we've longed for will be complete. All the pain and all the suffering will end and we will find that what we have endured will be worth it all. Look up. And lastly, look out. We look in these last verses. In verse 34, it says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Firstly, prepare. Prepare, verse 34, tells us. Live for the coming of Christ now. You see, what we said and what all of these signs show us is that Christ could come at any moment. And so while we wait, we are to prepare. We are to live for the Christ, for the coming of Christ now. Don't be distracted by the temporary, the pleasures of this life. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Live this life for the glory of the life to come. Don't be taken by surprise. Prepare. Secondly, verse 36 tells us, pray, pray. Give yourself to watchful, that is active, prayer. Pray for God's will. Pray for God's return. Pray for his glory. Pray for Christ to be known in your neighbors and in the nations. Pray for yourself, for your maturity for your boldness, for your strength, and for your confidence. Prepare, pray, and thirdly, persevere. Persevere. Pray for the strength to endure. Don't be overcome by the world, by the troubles, and by the character of this age. T- take heart in the promises of God. Live To stand before Christ with confidence. Jesus Christ is coming again. There is no doubt of that. And truly, it could be at any moment. We've taken a flying glance over these things and we will look more specifically and answer more details about what all this means in the weeks ahead. But truly, Christ could come here at any moment. We're not waiting for a sign We're not waiting for a moment to to happen. We are living in the last days, or as John says, we're in the last hour. God's program for the end of the age is imminent. His wonderful, glorious, eternal kingdom is not too far away. Our great and real hope is near. As a believer, we live In the days of urgency, let us live for God's glory in our words and in our works. Be vigilant, be discerning, be settled in the faith given to us. Don't live in fear, but be confident and trust God. Let's be shining lights of hope. Shining lights of hope in a world where hearts are failing. Now if you haven't believed Jesus as your Savior, please listen. When Christ returns, it will be in power and it will be in judgment. There will be no escape from his wrath. This is why his first coming is so important. He came the first time so that you could escape the wrath of his second coming. Jesus came the first time to pay the debt for our sin. What separates us from God, what puts us under his condemnation. And the penalty for that sin is death. And that is what you and I all owe God because of our sin. But Jesus died in our place. He paid the debt that I owe so that I could be forgiven and you could be forgiven of sin. Christ's second coming can be glorious for you by believing that you are a sinner and that Jesus died in your place to pay for your sin. Believe him. And live your life for him to the very end. If you want to believe Jesus Christ, I, I, I don't know what to do. Pray something along these lines. It, 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 acknowledge that, that you are a sinner. Acknowledge to God that Jesus is perfect and you believe that he is the savior. You believe that he came and that he died for your sin. And that you want to follow him and live for him. Ask for his forgiveness and he will give it. If you believe this, if you've perhaps prayed a prayer of something along these lines. Or maybe you, you want to know more, you want to believe, you want to understand more or you're unsure. Would you please get in contact with me? Please let me know. We'll put up contact detail here at the end in in just a moment. But I want to help you be able to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know what happens at the end. And I want to help you to know what is next. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God... We long for your return. We long for your kingdom to come. And while we wait, fill our hearts with courage and our mouths with wisdom. Lord, we praise you for those who have accepted your salvation today. We ask that as your church, we will be able to help and encourage them in their life as a believer, in Jesus' name, amen.